All right, guys, welcome back to the Fans Only Meeting. Um, with me, as always, is my brother-in-law and co-host, Chris Maricus. Chris, how you doing this week? I'm good. I'm really good. Everything's rolling. Yeah, man. We, uh, we got a win. We got some positivity. My expectations have been reset for the year. I don't know why it took me so long, but, like, now we're into the part of our season where we just get to play uh, Season Ruiner. Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, like – Look, this team sucks. We are not a good LSU football team. But um, the, what, I, what I have taken to do is I'm just going to look for growth wherever I can find it. And if I can find it, I will celebrate that small growth incrementally. And, uh, you know, this past week, we showed some grit. We had fun. Um, you know, it was a great, great time. It, we did not play awesome, but we did win. And you know what? That's what we needed. That's what we needed. So I'm good with it. Super happy. Super happy. It's the small things now. You know, it's 2020. Guys celebrate the small things. Yeah. Hey, you know, if you can't be happy, if you can't find ways to be happy, uh, you need to start looking elsewhere. And I've decided to look elsewhere. And I'm happy when I see a freshman outside linebacker who looks like a stud for two more years. Yeah, I'm and, happy when uh, I see a true freshman starting quarterback who looks like he's going to be a very good player going forward. You know, I, I love that. Yeah, I like watching our player kill a guy. Yeah, no, super fun. Super, everything is fun. Everything yeah. is fun. It's 2020. But look, let's stop talking about our teams. Let's talk about the other teams and the games that happen. Um, let's, let's go ahead and do that, you know. So biggest storylines from this week. Georgia decided to start a quarterback that will one day start in the NFL. Thoughts, comments, concerns? I mean, it seems like a good strategy. It seems like the way to do it. Yeah. Uh, we, <laughs> Generally speaking, we when you have the NFL talent, you, you, you would try to play him over serviceable SEC backup. Now, what I'm going to watch for is what D2 school is Stetson Bennett going to transfer to this offseason and then subsequently transfer back to Georgia from the offseason after that, now that he's lost his starting job. And can he find a way to make his eligibility stretch that far? Well, yes. Yes, he can. We, we know that. He's a, he's a magician. But, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we know that. And then, yeah, I mean, we all – I don't understand why he's postponing the inevitable of being a trial attorney. You know, I, I just, just accept it. Let JT Daniels be the NFL quarterback. You go make millions being a trial attorney somewhere in Georgia. And everyone can be happy. You know, that's, that's what I think needs to happen. But Mike Leach looked like, I forget the scientist's name. Actually, no, no, I didn't. Dr. Frankenstein, you know, celebrated <laughs> that we have life. It's alive. Mississippi State can score. They made a change at quarterback, too, and that seems to, like, have done everything it needed to do for him. Yeah. Um, Will Rogers comes in and like gives them a little bit of life. And uh, I mean, I, he, they're, they're still just throwing crossing routes, but uh, he's throwing crossing routes a little bit better than Costello was. So yeah, well, he's throwing crossing routes to the right team. That's key. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, that is key. That is key. It's pretty important right. in, that, in this game. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. Uh, yeah. Next up on our docket, um, LSU has life. <laughs> They suck. Yeah, no. And Orgeron's playing Dr. Frankenstein, too. You know, we celebrate the small things like we touched on, but there's life. There's life in Baton Rouge. There's life in Baton Rouge, and the party goes on. And we get to see how Ed Orgeron coaches the LSU football team as 
as we as we mentioned earlier, season ruiners. Like, what is he going to be able to get these young guys to do against a team like A and M or Florida or Ole Miss? Like, we have left on the schedule. Um, that's going to say like, okay, how can we ruin a fan base? You know? Yes, that's, that's how role now. We are ruiners, and I, for one. I'm really looking forward to the idea that LSU could possibly ruin A&M's season. I'm really, like, I'm really excited about it. There's a chance for it. And I just love the fact that there's just such a big asterisk on it because, I mean, we talked about with uh, Rush and Max in the interviews how this isn't really a rivalry. It's kind of forced. But for me, living in Houston and growing up in Texas, this is a rivalry. And there's, like, <laughs> there is pure emotion and hatred in this game and uh, it's visceral it's yeah it's it's visceral for sure good great word oh um, yeah <laughs> and and i love the fact that there's an asterisk because if, if they beat us this year like so what we stink but if we beat them it's like, you guys stink we stink and we beat you guys or if it's a close game for like a quarter or two quarters it's like we stink and we hung with y'all for two quarters like <laughs> this is Best case scenario, if you ask me. It's a lose-lose situation for Jimbo. You know, he either wins and it's like, oh, you should have beat us. Or uh, he loses and it's like, how the hell did you lose? You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's going to be fun. Dude, do we really need to talk about Alabama? Like, do we have to? They're really good. I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm ready for the days when, you know, Frank's sad because I've yet to see it. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, I, I just can't wait. Um, but, you know, let's just move on. Fuck them. Uh, it's boring. Yeah. It's so boring. Yeah, it is. It is. It's boring. Bama, in, in the year 2020, the only thing that is consistent is that Bama is very good at football. That's what it, it is. The, and at this point, the only thing we can root for is things that take us closer to the end of Nick Saban's coaching career. And if that's a four-peat, start it now. Like, just do it. Three more years of it, and then we can be done. But at that point, like at this point, I don't know what else it's going to take. Well, figure out a way to if, – if it's a four-peat, let's figure out a way to make it as stressful as possible too so that his cardiologist is like, Nick, you got to stop. You just, you just got to stop. He retires based off of doctor's orders. I'm not calling for a man to die, but I am calling for his doctor to say, Nick, you got you got to stop. So let, let the record show that is not a, uh, a death wish for Clay – it's just a near death wish. Well, it's, just, again, I just want a physician, someone who went to medical school to say, Nick, please stop. That's it. <laughs> we got we to gotta get him talking to Urban Meyer's doc, uh, doctor. Yeah, yeah, that's what we should do. Find Urban Meyer's doc, send him down to Tuscaloosa, and then, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, hey, you know, I tell you what, if there's any two guys who have the uh, – the, the wheels to get that going, it's you and me, baby. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We definitely have that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Boring. Move past it. Yeah. Well, so we, made it, had, we made it pretty fun. <laughs> yeah. Florida almost wet the bed. I mean, they had a little bit of a scare against Vanderbilt there. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny. Scott said this the last time we interviewed him for the Florida-Arkansas game. Um, teams have, have teams where, like, for no reason this – certain teams give really good teams a, a lot of challenges. And for whatever reason, it makes no sense, but the nerds at Vanderbilt have figured out a way to make life difficult for the Florida Gators. You know, I don't understand why. I don't get how. 
but they do pretty much every year. Florida did break away. Kyle Trask eventually remembered that he is Kyle Trask. And I, Clayfer, am hereby dubbing Kyle Trask the Joe Burrow of 2020. Uh, his facial hair is too bad. His soul patch got to go. Florida, so, you know. <laughs> right. At least he doesn't have the bleach blonde hair anymore. But he's yeah, just yeah. not he, – on the field, he is Joe Burrow. He's just not as cool as him, man. Oh no, no, he's not. not. Thoughts and prayers up to Joe Burrow. I don't, I, you know, I feel very bad for Joe. That that was brutal. But let's let's stick in the college game. I mean, he is Kyle Trask is unbelievable. It's ridiculous. Yeah, and he's got two healthy legs. So another one yeah. up on Joe Burrow. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. So Tennessee Auburn. Tennessee forgot to throw it to the, the guys in baby orange. Yeah. No. I don't. I, you know they. At what point does Jeremy Pruitt say, you know, this guy who's been a starter at my school for seven years in Garantano may not be the guy who's going to help me win football games. Like, what well, more do him. you need to see? They yanked him. I know. The it's, got... it's, it's the same story. They keep, they keep starting him. Just like, he gives us the best chance to win. It's like, oh, nope, you threw a pick. Here, come, come sit by coach. Come sit by coach. We'll, we'll, we'll coach you up, big guy. And then we'll start you next week, then we'll pull you again. Yeah, well, speaking of big guy, Bo Nix, my favorite person to talk about. Yeah, yeah. Six, 65% completion, 220 yards, world beater. He's incredible. It, it, wild. It's insane. We're going to get to see Bo Nix try to win a Heisman this week because he's so good at quarterback. I can't. I, we need to stop right here because I refuse to have anything negative said on tape about Bo Nix or any quarterback left on our schedule ever again. Well, Bo Nix isn't left on our schedule, so, you know, whatever. we got to play him for two more years. Just, yeah. you wait, just you wait until you can hear my, my takes on Kellen Mond next week, if and when we do win. Let's go. I, I, you know, I talk to you a good bit, but I, I'll, right. wait. I, I, I'll wait patiently. <laughs> I'm not saying it. Don't even ask. Let's, let's finish with the game that kind of went unnoticed. We covered it, but – uh, yeah. Missouri, South Carolina played a played a football game. They did, in fact, play a football game. It was a football game from 1980. Um, I, I think the final score was 17 to 10, um, and Missouri wins the Battle of Columbia. They now hold the hold the uh, hold the record of six and five against the other Columbia. There you go. That's I guess it pays to not Columbia's. have a river running through your city. Yeah, the old river proximity rule. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's let's talk about the future. Yeah, let's talk we about these a, games. Rivalry week, man. Yeah, fun, fun week. Um, I, you know, part of me wishes that they would spread these games out a little bit so that we could get them spread out. But also, like, I love the fact that they're at the end of this year. Uh, they're at the end of the year. And the interesting thing there is all the naysayers when the SEC schedule came out were like, no, you got to get the Iron Bowl and the Egg Bowl and LSU a and you got to move them up to the front of the schedule because the season's going to get canceled. You're never going to play those games. But look at us now. We made it. Every, every team made it. except for Alabama has had their run-in with COVID. Alabama is untouchable, so they won't have a run-in with COVID. We're here. We're playing all of these games. We haven't missed a single one. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of remarkable that we're making it. You know, in the in the at the end of November, we're making it this far into the football season and still playing games. Um, at, at, 
playing big, important football games. And, you know, I like, look at us. We did it. We did it. America, high five. Hey, we we lived. It, it was very chaotic, but we got there. Season's over. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so Iron Bowl, somehow, some way, Auburn found a way to get ranked again. And this yeah. is the only ranked matchup of the weekend. Yeah. Or week, it, I guess you should say. Yeah, it's the only match, match, ranked matchup in the SEC, but, you know, that's the only one that matters. So. Yeah, it's so hard for me to talk about this because it's like I feel like we know exactly what's going to happen. Nick Saban's going to come out – Nick Saban and Mac Jones, because they both, like, have a sour taste in their mouth from last year, are going to come out and just, like, absolutely dismantle this, like, rough and tough Auburn team. Like, Auburn's not good. And Alabama's the best they've ever been, if you ask me. So this is going to be like a systematic disassembly of Gus Malzahn's team. Yeah, but Saban's going to like call meaningless timeouts just to make it, you know, sting a little bit more because he hates what happened last year so much. Because I mean, if you remember, Gus Malzahn won because of some weird, quirky penalty rule in the Iron Bowl last year where he ran out like – he ran out like a minute's worth of clock without running a play. And he was like, ha I got you. And then they won the football game. Like, truly ridiculous. But uh, Saban's probably super pissed. Mac Jones is super pissed. They're favored by 24. They probably cover it. But, um, you know, I think Mac Jones probably going to have his highest moment. I mean, we talked about Kyle Trask and how good of a season he's having. Mac Jones is having just as good of a season, if not better of a season. And, you know, he is super talented. And in a rivalry game, those games are the games where you tend to have your Heisman moments. And I could see him very easily have it. Um, and, you know, despite all the slander, Bo Nix played really well in this game last year. So that might be the only thing that keeps Auburn in this football game. Yeah. No, it's Bo Nix and then some emotion from, like, the few veterans that Auburn has, like, all those dudes with sweet names. I guess some of them are freshmen, but all those dudes with sweet names are going to show up and, like, you know, get after it. So, I, yeah, it's 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 not going to look like it would if Auburn was – like the team that Auburn rolls out to the field was wearing any jerseys or helmets other than the Auburn team. You know, the fact that they are Auburn playing against Alabama probably gives them, like, seven to 14 points. Right. But it's still going to be a systematic disassembly. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. It's going to be painful for Auburn fans. But, you know, it is what it is. It's rivalry. Throw the records out the window. It's a rivalry, you know? It is what so, it is. So, let's, speaking of rivalries, let's move to – I know my now favorite rivalry after talking to Evan and Brian about this. I love the Egg Bowl now, and I can't wait to watch this game. I, like, you know, as, as – Great podcast hosts do. We text our guests after they come on to the show and tell them how great of a job they did because, you know, our guests are awesome. And we, you know, we, we want we really do appreciate them. I honestly texted them. I was like, guys, I am going to make it a point to sit down and watch every play of this game just because of you. Like, this game sounds super interesting, super exciting, and it's completely meaningless, and I love it. I love yeah, it. I love, I love all the quirky stuff about, like, this game is always irrelevant, but these two teams – still hate each other you've got the two weirdest coaches in the league you've got again another year where both teams are essentially irrelevant but like they're building to something who knows what Mike Leach is building to but like it's gonna be fun and we've got two trolls on the sideline that are like guaranteed to have some fun with it yeah and you know it's funny 
we talk about this game being irrelevant, and it is irrelevant outside of the state of Mississippi. Inside the state of Mississippi, it's the biggest deal that ever has ever happened every single year. But outside the state of Mississippi, no one really notices it and cares about it. But that kind of leans into the type of trophy that they have. They name it the Egg Bowl. What, what the hell does that mean? Like, I don't so, get it. The trophy is shaped literally like an egg. Why? I don't know. I haven't done my research on it, but, uh, you know, well, I think that they might need to change it to the human pretending to pee like a dog, but uh, that's just me because both teams have won it based off of those plays. So, um, you know, I think that'd be really fun and classy if uh, both these schools agreed to change the Egg Bowl trophy to the dog piss trophy. Uh, I mean, heck yeah. So the, uh, okay, so I've got the history up. And the original golden egg was supposed to be a football, but in the, in the old days, uh, footballs were shaped more like rugby balls. Okay. And, uh, you know, it was more like an egg shaped. And so it just colloquially became the golden egg. Um, so okay. It's, okay. Uh, it's pretty funny too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well keep Even, it. <laughs> yeah. So I love it. And then, so again, I'm kind of piggybacking on Sports Illustrated. But Sports Illustrated, I think Ross Dellinger wrote it. Uh, if not, he shared it. They shared kind of a brief history of all the crazy things that coaches of these two teams have done in the past to get their teams motivated and practices leading up to it. And so um, there was this whole, like, decade where the two teams thought one another was spying on them and, like, sending fans to the practice facility to spy on them to the point where, like, Mississippi State planted a bunch of trees between their practice field and a highway. Ole Miss only practiced inside leading up to this game because they were afraid of something, but that didn't stop a Mississippi State fan from slamming the doors open to the practice facility, clanging a, a cowbell and screaming, Go dogs in the middle of practice. Um, and that escalated to the point where David Cutcliffe, a while back at Ole Miss, dressed a mannequin in Mississippi State clothes and then pointed it out in the middle of practice and said, hey, what is that? I think that's a Mississippi State fan. Sent one of his assistant coaches up in the stadium to, like, go see the mannequin and then yelled up to him, like, throw him over. And they threw this mannequin out the stadium. And it took a little bit for the players to realize that it wasn't even a real person that he just murdered. <laughs> So the last rivalry that we have to cover is Texas A&M versus LSU. We have Max and Rush Roberts back on. Um, we've had some technical difficulties in recording this part of the intro. So uh, if there's any glitches or anything, you know why. But, uh, you know, Chris, is this a real rivalry? I don't know. I don't like A&M, so I consider it one. But I think the fan base is not fully bought in. What do you think? Okay. I think that the Zoom I have installed on my phone – does not want this to be a rivalry, so I'm going to change my answer and say, until A&M beats LSU twice, it's not a rivalry. Okay. <laughs> yeah, how about that? Uh, oh, well, we didn't drop the call. All right, perfect. And we did not drop the call. That's what it was. A&M must be hacking into your Zoom account just to make sure that you don't speak slander about Texas A&M. But, hey, yeah. look, you know, uh, 
this is Jimbo had had his eyes on this game, his first year there, paying the conference office, paying for the referees to win this game. I'll say all the bad stuff so that you don't get kicked off again. Um, LSU fans really started caring at that point because at that point in time it was seven and zero, and LSU had done nothing but just completely dominate at Texas A&M. I mean, you know. It became a rivalry then to me because I, I, I kind of thought they were irrelevant. I didn't really understand why you didn't like them so much. Yeah, so all credit goes to Texas A&M for making this an actual rivalry because after that game, they printed the cups, they made rings, they painted murals about the game. And, like, okay, that was when LSU fans said, all right, we don't like these guys. Let's yep. stick it to them next year. So yes. then – you know, we had a 50-3 to three ass whooping in Tiger Stadium last year. I wouldn't be shocked if we didn't see a reciproca- uh, like a reciprocation of that and a comes out and throttles us. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah, I agree. They're not going to – they are not happy with LSU after that. LSU totally deserved to do that, though. Like, they had earned it thoroughly after what happened in 2018. But – this is kind of a theme that really hasn't been talked about all that much is that LSU kind of deserves some of the licks that they're getting this year because of how great of a team and how cocky of a team they were in 2019. They're getting everyone's best shot because everyone's like, fuck LSU. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but it was worth it. And the only, the oh, only yeah. other thing I've got to say. Definitely, definitely down for it. <laughs> yeah. The only other thing I've got to say is, and this, is going to be controversial for many listeners who are from A&M, but I hope they keep the microphones from the, the broadcast as far away from the A&M band as possible because all they play is carnival music and they play it as loud as possible. You know, when the only thing that I really, like when we were just beating them seven years in a row and I was like, okay, this is a forced rivalry, whatever. It play, if we play it on rivalry week because that conference wants us to, blah, 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 blah. The only thing that really got under my skin, there were two things. There was one, the cheer, the yell, scream, scream leaders, whatever the hell they call it. And then all this brouhaha about the Texas A&M band. I couldn't agree with you more. They're so overrated. I, I don't understand how it's a big deal that Texas A&M has a band that can walk in a semi-straight line. It's not even straight. They're just semi-straight. Okay. I would say it's cool when they do that whole, like, shuffling the deck. Strongly like, disagree. You know, making plaid on the field. It's, nope. it's cool one time. After that, seen it. Done. Move on. Make a shape. <laughs> make a shape, make a, nerd. Make a shape. I've seen a square. Act out a movie scene. Yeah. Draw something. Make SpongeBob. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and so, and the other thing about the Aggie band after this interchange. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Sorry, no, but and I I feel like Rush would uh, would agree or appreciate our commentary. The only other thing I'll say about the Aggie band, and we can like move off of that for maybe a little bit. Um, no promises, but they bring like four hundred and fifty of them. They, they take up like the whole allotment of guest tickets. I would be so mad. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. But look, the A&M band gets enough play by the real media. We're the, we're the fun media, so we're not going to give them any more play. Yeah. So let's kick it to the fans. Let's do it. All right, man. (laughs) 
All fan interviews of the Fans Only Meeting podcast are sponsored by Griffith Service Station. For all our listeners in the Mobile, Alabama area, Griffith Service Station is your one-stop shop for all your vehicle needs. Griffith Service Station provides a vast array of mechanic work from oil changes to complete engine rebuild. Their store is stocked with over 100 brands of wine, beer, seltzers, and local IPAs. The only full-service gas station left in Mobile, Griffith Service Station has been family-owned and operated since 1958 and is located on the corner of Government and Ann Street. Give them a visit today. All right, guys, welcome back on to the call. Uh, It is Rivalry Week in the SEC, Thanksgiving week uh, as tradition. It is Rivalry Week, even though it is a COVID season. So, obviously, we had to cover the Iron Bowl. We had to get some some from Alabama, some from Auburn. Uh, Representing Alabama again, we have Frank Shaka. Frank, how you doing? I'm great. Thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely. And then uh, representing Auburn for the first time is Rick. Rick Anderson, how you doing, my man? Thanks for coming on. Cool, cool. Okay, so let's get right into the questions for this week. Uh, Obviously, you guys have an intimate knowledge of the other school, maybe that some other fans from the outside looking in would not. So, Rick, first time on, let's start with you. What's something that maybe isn't obvious about Alabama that just makes your blood boil? Like, the obvious thing is they're always winning. But, like, what do you really, truly hate about them? You know, honestly, it's just I can't even talk football with Alabama fans. You know, I think what makes football great in college level is just the, you know, it's the drama and the uncertainty of it all. And, uh, you know, Bama fans have to, you know, manufacture this drama because it doesn't really exist. You know, when a Bama fan wants to talk about losing a player or, you know, we don't know if we're going to rebuild next year when it's just, you know, a stocked pond. I don't think anybody else wants to have those conversations. You know, I just, you, when you jump on a Bama message board, you think that they're more like a Nebraska team trying to come off a three and eight season, even though it's just a reloading year. And they still spend 24-7, you know, thinking about it. So I just – that's that's what that's that's the most annoying part about Bama in general. Again, it's just they're all born on third base and think they had a triple, but they spend the whole year thinking about how are they going to get back to the promised land. <laughs> so, Rick, I, 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 I taste a little bit of bad blood. And for the fans out there listening and watching, uh, Rick's brother actually went to Alabama. So I'm sure on Thursday for Thanksgiving, you're going to have a lot of shit talking going on. What do you yeah. all typically talk about? The Iron Bowl changed a lot when it moved to Saturdays because my family's still in Prattville, Alabama, which isn't far away from Tuscaloosa or from Auburn. So it used to be we'd eat, you know, we'd eat Thanksgiving dinner or uh, hit the road to whatever school was going to be on Friday and things got a little contentious. So uh, thankfully <laughs> things have settled down a little bit. But, you know, we were at the Camback, we were at the Kick Six, uh, a lot of different emotions on both those occasions. So can you like quickly tell us how you ended up at Auburn and your brother went to Bama? Like, how did you guys split on that? Just didn't get in. <laughs> and, and, you know, and he very quickly took up, uh, took up the roll tide mantle. You, you'd never know. He, uh, you know, up until like 18, he was orange and blue. And now he sees the worst of the worst. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's get off Auburn for a sec. Frank, what, what really makes your blood boil about Auburn? So Auburn is always going to be little, the little brother in this rivalry. Um, they're, they're always going to take a back seat to Alabama. So, I mean, they a couple of years ago, they printed shirts saying state of Auburn. Um, you know, they have all these fucking mottos, Auburn way, Auburn family. I mean, that, that shit pisses me off. I mean, it's really just, 
it's showing their severe insecurity and uh, towards Alabama. And um, I mean, they act like they're the only one who's who's got Jesus on their side. I mean, it's it's ridiculous. You think Texas and Colt go go down to Auburn during game day and listen to the the, the shit that they come out come up with? I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, it, it's all because you know insecure because Alabama has all this success and we're we're at the top and and they've got a you know knock knock us down a peg or two and say shit like state of auburn i mean whoever came up with that i mean goodness gracious i see those shirts just i mean i just like i don't know what else to do state of auburn are you kidding me i I, frank i gotta i gotta ask so this is a rivalry that used to not be played in auburn alabama what's your opinion on that on that layer of the rivalry so it used to be in legion field and for the longest time auburn always bitched about it being basically an Alabama home game and that was probably true because it's in Birmingham uh so we are probably too young for for that really kind of argument uh to be a part of the talk so I don't have any problem with Jordan Hare and Tuscaloosa um I, I got into it a little too late you know being songs any problem so I, I think Auburn actually had some uh you know credence for for bitching about that okay Rick what are your thoughts on that yeah, you know, the, the bad blood on that front goes back a little deeper than just uh, Legion Field, you know, so it, it kind of goes down to the institutional level. You know, the Iron Bowl wasn't played for about 40 years in the early 1900s, just because, you know, the schools couldn't get along. And actually, you know, obviously, in the early part of the state of Alabama in the 1800s, 1900s, all the prominent politicians and, and state legislator were Alabama grads. So, you know, there's, there was really a concerted effort for a lot of the 1900s to really undermine Auburn University becoming a, a full, full recognized university. They, you know, really didn't want to be funded. They wanted Alabama to be the only university in the state. So, you know, there is definitely something to that, um, you know, the little brother mindset, but I really think it's more on the Alabama side of they were afraid of little brother. You know, they want to make them irrelevant and we still live right free. Okay. All right. All right. That, that's a good little tidbit. So let's move on to today's rivalry. Today, this year, we're – oh, go ahead, Frank. You raise your hand. You're very polite. I appreciate it. Yeah, well, a uh, couple things – yeah, thank you. A couple things to say. I'm not scared of little brother. And uh, the, the Auburn coach, uh, before they canceled the series for 41 years, he threatened to cancel it because the Alabama coach was coming up with two elaborate formations and shifts. So they couldn't handle it. <laughs> And among other things, the per diem and the referees, they were like, fuck it, we're, we're not playing y'all. And 41 years later, they were like, all right, we'll, we'll re- renew the, the robbery. And what do you know, Alabama won 55 to nothing. Wow. You know, it's funny. <laughs> that's the, no, I'm not, not afraid of little brother. History comes full circle. How many rule changes has Saban put in place after Gus has looked at ass a few times? I think there's been at least three rule changes. Let's get let's let's move on. Let's move on. Let's talk about today's rivalry in 2020. Alabama's got this quarterback, Mac Jones, who's on fire, lighting the college football world on fire. Probably number one or number two in the Heisman, depending on where you're looking at your odds. Um, but he's definitely not the most athletic person on the face of the earth that you could say. So he's one of those quarterbacks who's really going to throw in the football, but really not that athletic in general, kind of like Tom Brady. Um, So Frank, do you think Matt Jones could beat Bo Nix at any sport other than throwing the football accurately? Uh, Yes. I would say, what about UFC? I mean, have you seen that picture (laughs) after the Tennessee game? (laughs) Unit. (laughs) <laughs> I think he could take them in, in the case. 
I'm gonna get right. that. I'm All gonna right. hit the dump button on that. That's a big old hell no. Zach, my Rick, what do you think? Yeah, so first of all, you know, I'm here in Jacksonville, Florida, so Mac Jones has been a hometown hero. So, you know, a lot of respect with you. You know, Mac Jones went to, you know, big hoity-toity private high school here in Jacksonville Bowls. You know, Bo Nix is a country boy. I think Mac Jones may be able to beat him at some country club sports like golf. But, you know, overall, if we're, <laughs> we're being really hand to God honest, I think Bo Nix is really more of an elite athlete than he is an elite quarterback at this point in his career. Uh, yeah. So I'll take Nix on those fronts. Uh, on all the fronts except for throwing the football. Yeah, you know he's got a, he's got a way to go. Honestly, you know in the in the quarterback IQ development, right? And we're we're still seeing that come along. You know, credit to Mac where it's due. He's clearly put in the work. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Frank, what's up, man? I I agree. I think Bo Nix is an incredible athlete. I think if he went to a different school with a elite talent around him and a, and a decent quarterbacks coach. I think he could be winning the Heisman and it's a shame, you know, he's an Auburn guy. So he's always going to go to Auburn. Um, I just think that Gus Malzahn is kind of stunning his development, which is a shame because I think he has all the talent in the world to win a Heisman. Yeah. I mean, he's a, he, he's definitely athletic and he put my team in their place. So, you know, he, ha he holds a special place in my heart of hatred, but Mac Jones probably is going to do the same thing whenever LSU plays Alabama again too. So I'll probably hate them both equally personally, but you know, it, it, it is what it is. <laughs> I don't, I don't harbor hate in my heart for anyone because it always just ends up coming back and hurting us. So let me, I'm going on the record to say that this for the first time ever. Um, I hate everyone equally. <laughs> Not me. No, no, no. Not me. <laughs> you're, you're a better person. I want to get a fuck George on the record while we're here. Okay, cool. Yeah, <laughs> that's good. Um, we needed that. When we did when we did Auburn, Georgia, the fans we had on, uh, there was just not enough, like, you know, they didn't have much fire or passion. They were just like, no, I mean, Auburn's fine. Georgia's fine. We really just hate Florida. You know, uh, unfortunately, you know, maybe it's the – proximity of having a brother that's a Bama fan I have a begrudging respect for for Saban you know you can't argue with the results you know Georgia has the same type of arrogance with none of their you know with none of their credentials to back it up <laughs> that is definitely true <laughs> that is definitely true yeah all right so let's let's keep pressing forward here and let's try and go maybe rapid fire through this and we can explain it at the end but Frank why don't you pick three people from Auburn history to just erase completely. Never happened, never existed. Okay. Uh, Clement Clay Jr., Benjamin Fitzpatrick. You're probably wondering who the hell those guys. They were the Alabama congressmen who <laughs> chartered the, the Auburn University, and uh, they're the ones who got it through. You get rid of them, no chance Auburn becomes a school. Two, Cam Newton. I mean, come on. He's the worst person alive. He'd be doing all the – laptops and best buy favor just get rid of him three <laughs> bo jackson most overrated sport athlete of all time he's got terrible hips he only played in nfl for four years he had seen career rushing touchdowns derrick henry had 16 rushing touchdowns last year alone done i mean i like your strategy to just go back in time and kill hitler and then it'll just never happen. <laughs> just get him off just get him off the map right erase from history completely yeah <laughs> All right, Rick, now, now's your chance. Go back in time and, and eliminate three people. I mean, the obvious answer here is Nick Saban's got to go. Uh, the second answer I'm going to give you is Jalen Waddle, just because I think he messes with the FaceTime continuum anyway when he's playing football. So that seems like a likely pick. Uh, and then the third's obviously Bear Bryant. And, you know, kind of going back to my first point, you know, 
Bama fans, I think, forget the dark days, you know, how, how quickly their memories have adjusted. But, you know, Bama between other than 60s and 70s, there was a long stretch of, of mediocrity and really nothingness up and they had one season in 92. And then really between there, it was just mediocre football and NCAA sanctions until Saban arrived. And, you know, now they, you know, without Saban arriving, they'd just be Tennessee or Michigan, you know, pining for a time in which they once were relevant. Dare, dare I say that if it wasn't for Saban, they might be Ole Miss. It, it's very possible. Come on now. Ole Miss has never been to the SEC championship game. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, I don't mean it from like a championship. We, well, We had 12 national for saving. 12 national championships. So, Frank, we're, we're losing you a little bit. 12 national championships before saving. Is that what you said? Yeah, and I, and I said, you said dare, dare us become Ole Miss. I mean, they've never been to the SEC championship game. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's I, true. They just had a really cool guy in Archie Manning. I'm more, I'm more referring to the Mike Price, Mike Shula era with the Ole Miss comparison there. That's got a lot of, like, tones. I remember those years. A lot of tones of few freezing. I grew up on those years. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's, 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 let's power through. Let's keep this ball. Let's keep this train rolling. I'm going to start with Rick. It's, I think Frank's trying to figure out some technical stuff, so we'll start with Rick first. Rick. In your personal experience, obviously this rivalry is one that you've lived with your entire life. What is the biggest and most impactful memory that you have from this rivalry? You know, I, I this is this is the low hanging fruit, and it obviously is the one that drives Dana Fran nuts. But you know, I, I had the pleasure of being at the Kick Six in 2013. Uh, it was the year after I graduated, but I was still dating a girl there, and I got to be back and, and storm the field and you know rush you know rush the field from the stands and you know. Putting the Auburn in Alabama thing aside, I don't think I've ever been part of a moment quite like that. And I've been in a few championships, you know, professional and otherwise, you know, just the feeling of disbelief, you know, is totally sublime. You know, one of those things that kind of transcend sports, um, you know, just being part of that moment. And, you know, the, the other story I like to tell is my brother was so upset after that game that he wrecked his car on the way home. So it's uh, <laughs> a bad day for your winter. brothers. <laughs> <laughs> not only just dealing with the loss, but also wrecking his car. It's a pretty rough day. <laughs> it was. And, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Frank, let's, uh, let's, get, the, let's get a similar uh, answer from you. What is your biggest, most impactful memory from this rivalry? You, you've obviously been a fan of, these, uh, of Alabama your whole life. What's the most impactful game that you've seen from this rivalry? So... I would say 2013, we don't talk about that game. I was there, whatever. Two years later, I told myself I wasn't going to go back to that city. But I convinced myself to go because we had Derrick Henry, Heisman winner. I was like, I've got to go into that stadium, see a win, and then get the hell out of there and never go back. So we went. We won. Uh, Derrick Henry had like 300 yards on 44 carries uh, and a couple touchdowns and basically propelled him to the Heisman. So that was probably my most memorable moment as a student. Um, but really, the, the robbery, I mean, growing up, I mean, 
it, I mean, there's no professional teams in, in Alabama. So it's like, you have to pick a side and what I love about the rivalry, what separates it from the rest of the country and, and college football and NFL really is the pure unadulterated hatred that the fans have for each other. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we had a guy poison trees and then in, in Mobile, Alabama, a couple of years ago, some guy got an argument after the game and shot them. And it's just, I love that hatred. It's fierce. I don't know if yeah, fans are like, they're kind of known for breaking the law because of their sports fandom. Like when the, when they played LSU in new Orleans, Crystal. One of them teabagged, yeah, Crystal teabagged the LSU fan. Yeah, that was pretty nasty. Rick, what what to you makes this rivalry different than other rivalries in college sports history? You know, I, I think he nailed it, right? You know, Alabama is obviously not a very big state. Um, you know, there's not a lot of things that Alabama hangs its hat on. You know, there's not really that many things that are remarkable about it, honestly, um, in terms of, you know, there's not big cities, there's not big enterprises, there's you know, I don't think that there's anything that people look at Alabama and say like, oh, that's what they're known for outside of football, right? And when you kind of look back, especially in the last decade, that this state of only a few million people has kind of had center stage. You know, Alabama's obviously led that front, but, you know, Auburn's a, a respected blue blood program. Uh, in the last decade, you know, both schools have won national championships and have competed for SEC championships and been in the national football picture. It's pretty remarkable when you look at, you know, just kind of the geography is happening. It's not a large state. You know, it's not a large state that has a lot of sex appeal for, for kids to want to come play. But they're just long tradition to football. There's no pro sports. It runs deep in family and in the culture. It's really like a religion. And it's, it's 365. I mean, it's, it's year round. So you touched on geography there for a second. And it like a light clicked on. Perhaps the state of Auburn shirts were simply to explain to people outside of the state of Alabama that Auburn is in Alabama. I mean, did you think about yeah. that? No, I'd like to say it was true. I, I, uh, I, I found those shirts a little cringy myself. Uh, they didn't last Thanks. for more than I think it was right after they put those out that we got that ass look that he was talking about with Derek Henry running it down our throats. So I, I think they shelved those. But, uh, you know, you're right. There's a, there's a lot of times that people don't, don't know where Auburn is. Um, a lot of times when I'm dealing with people out of state, you know, for work-related reasons, when I talk about Auburn, they think it's a small private college, you know. So for it to be kind of a large land-grant university, uh, you know, outside of kind of the southeast, it's not very well known. Wait a second. Auburn's a public university? I always thought that it was like the <laughs> private go. university of Alabama. Yeah, no, Auburn is a land-grant college. So it actually started as, a, an, you know, an, an agricultural mechanical school, an A&M. So wow. it was with becoming an agricultural engineering and military college and it, it's a public it's a state university you know i've learned so much having this podcast I, I i'm so happy that it, you know now i know auburn's not a private institution it's not just a place i i went there once and it was literally everything that i saw first of all lsu lost and second of all everything else that i saw was just red brick everything yep. in that town is red <laughs> brick everywhere i was like I don't know what the, what the hell's going on, but everything here is just red. And y'all aren't even a red school. Y'all are orange and blue. What's going on? I would say the brick is orange, if you ask me. Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and we have gone off the rails there. Okay. Let's, <laughs> let's close it out. This is going to be uh, – it should be fun. It should be easy for – it sounds like Frank has one up his sleeve already. So, Frank, say something nice about Auburn. If you can. No, you have to. 
No, if you can. Mm. They extended Gus Malzahn for seven more years. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah. That is the weirdest thing ever. Like, the dude beats Alabama once, and it's like, 10-year extension, $50 million. Here you go, bud. Yeah, I, I, I have kind of two things to say about that one. Uh, you know, the president that handed out that contract was from Iowa State, and he has long been since been chased out of town after a very short career as president of the university. Jimmy Sexton took that guy to school with that contract negotiation. But uh, with all the disrespect that Malzahn get, gathers on the national stage, he's still the winningest coach against Saban of all time. He's currently three and four in his current tenure. So, you know, if he, if he keeps up that winning percentage over the next seven years, I think Bama fans will have a lot more to worry about. Good point. All right, Rick, you got the so mic. Say about, something nice about Bama. I have, I have a lot of respect for Nick Saban. I got a lot of respect for winners. He's obviously built a powerhouse program. Um, you know, I, I can't say anything negative about him in terms of that. So, you know, I, I hope the ride's over soon. But uh, as long as he's there, I think we'll continue seeing Alabama doing what Alabama does. Yeah, I, I found myself rooting for whatever, like, takes minutes, hours, or years off of Nick Saban's life. So if it's like a stressful win against Clemson or a stressful win against Auburn, I'm all for it. Well, I, I think there's no one that takes more years off of Saban's life than playing Gus Malzahn. Because if you watch him on the sideline this weekend, you'll see that he really does not enjoy those games. Yeah, that's a good point. Let's, <laughs> hey, let's make that a 21-year contract. All right. Yeah. We, are, we are running out of time, but this was a lot of fun. Uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for y'all's time, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah, guys, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you. All. Good luck this weekend. It'll be a good one. Thanks for having me. Okay, welcome to the second call of the week. This week, we are talking our second named rivalry game with the Egg Bowl. From uh, Mississippi State, we've got Evan. And then from Ole Miss, we got Brian from uh, Talk of Champions podcast from the 24-7 Network. Evan, Brian, thanks for coming on, y'all. Not a problem. Thank you for having Glad me. To be here, I appreciate it. Hey guys, thanks for making the time. Thanks for making the time. Uh, so, guys, look, you know, there's three. Th this is a historic rivalry. There's obviously a lot of bad blood in this rivalry. Um, I'm going to start with Evan. Evan, what are the three things that you hate most about Ole Miss? Uh, well, it, it's been one that they've been pushing on a on us a little bit more recently. It's it's the the powder blue is the one that recently has been getting to me more than anything. I, I uh, in circles near me, I do refer to it as the most pretentious color in college sports, um, just because it's it, it's everything about it. It's not UNC. It's not it's not the tradition, but they pull it from these little threads of these little storylines and they weave it together into something much more grand. And that's one thing that's really been grinding my gears recently. Um, the Grove has always been one to uh, to get under your skin a little bit. Um, you know, it's it's not the junction. It's much dirtier, less grass. Um, much more hoity-toity, as they might say. We have a little bit more Carhartt and uh, Earth Tones than they do, but uh, I feel more welcome there, that's for sure. Okay. And, um, and the, the last thing that's always gotten me, is, uh, especially as a student, was the, uh, the constant chiding of uh, LSU being the real rival in, in, the, uh, in the division. Okay, okay, yeah, that, that's interesting. And I want to go back a little bit to your comment about the Grove. Is that a common thread in the Mississippi State fandom or is that just, is that just that Evan type thing? No, I, I feel like it's pretty prominent. Uh, we're, we're pretty proud of what's become of the junction. It's, uh, 
probably not been around quite as long, but it's definitely become something that uh, definitely is not been replicated many times over. It's um, it's a huge area. It's actually got some pretty funny history when you look back into what it actually used to be. Uh, the signs that don't never ever enter and all that good stuff. But uh, but no, it's definitely a common thread. Ours is sunnier, greener, more friendly. Okay, okay, I, Brian. What are the three things that you hate about Ole Miss? And I'll let you I'll let you rebut the Grove uh, heresy that he's talking about over there. <laughs> the Grove is so he's got you. He's he's correct on like the 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 size of it. It is rather crammed and small. I have never noticed the quantities of grass because if it rains at all, it just turns into like kind of a mud pit type <laughs> deal. So I'll have to explore the uh, the quantity of the grass. Um, the powder blue. I like the color, but it's hard to argue because, like, the origin, the actual origin <laughs> of powder blue is like the old, most old Miss thing of all time. Is they ordered the wrong helmet color in the '80s by accident. The AD was too cheap to send it back, so they were just like, "To hell with this! We're gonna rock powder blue for a while." <laughs> like, like, hard to offer a strong rebuttal there. Other than I wish they would settle on one shade of it. It's like four different shades across three different sports. I don't quite understand that one, but do enjoy the color. And then. I forgot the third one already. Uh, that was about the LSU comment. It always seems oh, no. that they gets pushed on everybody. I, I don't know how to rebut that one because, like, anyone under 70 years old that was not alive for, to root for Ole Miss football in the 60s is just trying to get under state people's skin by saying that. No one <laughs> – they don't, they don't believe it. It's fun to say, <laughs> but um, I can't offer much rebuttal there because, I mean, if you ever show up to Oxford or Starkville – egg bowl week to a game and then try to compare the LSU game is the same thing. I don't have a whole lot for you. Yeah. So Brian, what are your three things that you hate most about the state? I guess the cowbells would probably be the, the starting one for me. And it's not even like a, it's not even like a, Oh, this is stupid type of thing. You leave there and particularly like working games there through the years, you leave there and your ears are still ringing two and three days afterwards. And everyone likes to say that, like it's some big joke until you actually go sit through a crowded state game to where it's sold out. Like, you know, two days later, you're like, all right, I wish this would stop now. So I'll go, <laughs> I'll go Cowbells as one, Nightlife two. Their bars are kind of small. Every time I go see my friends there, I'd just be like, man, this is fine and all, but, like, if you let five more people in here, I'm going to get claustrophobia. Small bars. The third one, I would go with – the unwarranted chip on the shoulder. <laughs> oh, this is kind of the antagonist, but man, State knows a hell of a lot more about Ole Miss than say Ole Miss knows about State, or so the legend goes. I, that would be my third one. I couldn't think of a good one. <laughs> I think that's right, a pretty good Evan, third. you got anything to say about that? We gave Brian a chance for a butt, so go ahead. Uh, as far as the cowbells, uh, you pretty much when you get that press pass, you get a ticket inside. You're signing up for tinnitus. I didn't uh, hear one. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to the nightlife, you're not wrong. Uh, from everything I can tell, they're working on that. Good thing it's all since I graduated, so I don't really get to partake in much of it anymore. But, um, no, you're, you're not wrong. Where on a big game weekend, you were probably going to be standing outside for probably about 70% of your night just because there's not enough roof space for everyone that wants to go out. So you're not wrong there either. Uh, hopefully they're, they're trying to work on that. Probably not, though. Um, and then as far as the unwarranted chip on the shoulder – I absolutely cannot argue that. My my late grandmother, she taught me to love a lot of things, but she certainly taught me how to hate Ole Miss athletics. And and that and it's almost where I believe that to her last day, she absolutely was always more interested in hoping Ole Miss would lose than State to win. 
That's Which, awesome. That's exactly what the SEC is supposed to be. We've we've had a lot of interviews, and people have been like, "Yeah, you know, we don't like this team, but we we still respect them." I love how y'all are like, you know what? Fuck these guys. Don't want anything to do with them. Your grandma on her deathbed was like, you know what? Ole Miss needs to lose forever. You know, forever and all. Do the same thing. They just don't like to admit it, and maybe are slightly less open about it. But believe. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, but I, I guess if there's one common thread as far as SEC hatred goes, everybody hates Florida, right? Let's do like kind of a roll call there. Yeah, Florida always. All right, cool. yeah, everyone hates Florida. All right, we're good on that. All right, cool. So keep keep them rolling. Same rival, new coach. Both of y'all got new coaches over the the off season and kind of went out and snagged some characters. Um, you know, Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin. Lane Kiffin's got some SEC history. Mike Leach is, uh, has some history and maybe his distant past, but uh, not so recent. So, Evan, we'll start with you. Um, do you think Mike Leach, coming from the outside in, is able to get the boys up for this game and maybe ruffle some feathers like uh, coaches of the past have? Uh, I mean, I, I think he can in his own very spacey ways and, and odd ways to use and twist words. Uh, I, I think he can. He's been around the big enough. Uh, granted, he's never been something maybe this spiteful. Uh, but he, he's been around a couple before. So I think I know, I think he knows kind of what it takes. And I mean, when you're taking the squad of 49 guys that just went took a trip to Athens, they got a lot to prove themselves. Uh, a lot of new guys on that squad that are going to be turned around, trying to learn Leach's system the best they can to come back in year two and make it a hell of a lot better of a year than this was. Will Rogers got things to prove. So, I mean, he'll know what to do, but I think it's also going to be pretty easy for these 49 guys and whoever comes off the COVID list that was on last week. I think it's going to be pretty easy for them to find a fire. So I have a follow-up yeah, question. Yeah, that COVID list that. last week was pretty scary for you guys. <laughs> I got I got a follow-up one for that. S, uh, Sports Illustrated released a story this week kind of explaining, like, the history of coaches doing, you know, weird things to get their team fired up. And it seemed like there were at least two faked murders. Do you think Mike Leach or uh, Lane Kiffin is more likely to fake a murder? And we'll get your, we'll get your opinion on this too, Brian. I would probably say Mike Leach is probably a good bit more likely to fake his own death. And it would probably be some end around way to also make a point about uh, mortality, COVID, uh, <laughs> introspection, so, something much more grand than, than a game, but he, he'd find a way. I think so. I don't know if Kiffin has that high brow of thought. Well, there's already precedent in the Ole Miss program because I believe it was 2015 where uh, Pastor Hugh Freese actually staged his own funeral at a practice because he's not a narcissist at all. So if you're going to fake your own death, you're going to have to do it in a cooler way. But there is, this has already sort of been done before. Uh, Hugh Freese uh, staged his own funeral at a practice one time. So if Kevin wants to do it, he's going to have to do it with more style. <laughs> I love how you called Hugh Freeze a pastor. That just really, you know, it, it definitely, definitely plays – you know, he definitely didn't get fired for prostitution or you know, anything like that. So I was just giving the man his due. I think he delivered his own eulogy at that fake funeral. So I was just trying to pull credit for, uh, for, his, for his services. Hey, the, that's incredible. The, the prostitution and the leaky phone, I mean, that's right up Southern Baptist pastor. Like, I mean, it still fits the bill. It's just a different genre of pastor, maybe. Yeah. Um, he was taken made for liberty. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. All right. Same question, Brian. Do you think Lane Kiffin's able to uh, to get the boys up for Mississippi State the same way coaches of the past have? 
I do. And I actually think Mississippi State doing what they did in Athens last weekend probably actually helped the cause for Kiffin in some degree in helping them get up for this game because State had really struggled this year, particularly after the first game. It had been a pretty brutal stretch. And they take 49 dudes, which is like technically four under the minimum, and, you know, take Georgia to a fight to the wire. If, if that's, you know, if Kiffin needed evidence to kind of keep everyone on their guard and get them up for this game, that's, that's enough in its own right. But, yeah, I think he will. I think you'll see a different kind of energy in this game because these two dudes are friends where Mullen and Freeze, like, hated each other and really were not very bashful about it and just took the rivalry to a weird place. And I think you'll actually see this, like, have a, like, cool energy about it as opposed to what the hell is that guy doing pissing in the end zone type of deal where everyone is just drunk on Thanksgiving laughing. So I do think they'll both get up for this game. They'll just channel a different energy. Yeah, you know, that just kind of plays me right into the next question that I have for you guys. So, like, growing up with this rivalry, what's your most iconic moment and why is it an Ole Miss player pretending to pee like a dog? <laughs> The question goes both ways. So why is it that? <laughs> Brian, you can start with this one. I'll go. <laughs> I, I'll go. So the, the I'll never forget sitting there in 2017 and seeing DK Metcalf lift his leg because that was like not a storyline going into the game. So he does that at the end of the end zone, and it was kind of old Mrs. Exclamation Point touchdown in that win. And apparently, it was just completely impromptu. And obviously planted the seeds for just an even greater debacle two years later. It would be hard to argue from a national television standpoint how that's not the most remarkable uh, or most memorable. I would go 20 for just from history's sake outside of that one. I would go 2012 Ole Miss Freeze's first year. The program was off a two and 10 year with Houston Nutt, and they beat the hell out of a pretty damn good state team that year. And it was a pivotal win. He had the whole corny speech with Tunsil and Treadwell and Kim Dietschy sitting in the back of the locker room. And it was a pivotal moment for the Ole Miss program at that point. And that was a very cool night to be in Oxford. So I would go that one outside of the uh, dog piss. So Evan, why, why is last year's dog piss the most iconic memory that you have? And then we'll, we'll take another one. But uh, I, I want to hear your, your side of the dog pissing exchange oh <laughs> uh, I, I would say that, that was probably the the highest decibel level my voice has ever reached it the, the sheer <laughs> collision of every emotion of un, disbelief pure hilarity and, and impromptability of the whole thing happening it, it was it was such a it had to happen in that way for in that rivalry for that game to go that way I mean I, the whole way down the field I saw it was like this game is here it goes. This is the game. They're going to take it right away from us. They're going to go to overtime. We're going to lose this. And then, you know, he does what he does. And I was like, wait a second. This, <laughs> wait a second. We got a shot. The rivalry's doing rivalry things. <laughs> and, it, 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 you know, we unfold the next strangest probably 18 months of college football that the, the state has ever seen across both landscapes. That may, um, yeah. that may be the strangest sporting event I've ever been at. So I was still working and, like, covering all this back then. And I'm like down on the field and they bring Corral in off the bench, which he has later admitted that that entire drive, every play call that Rich Rodriguez brought in, he said, actually to hell with this, we're going to do this. So he's arguing with the coaching staff on the sideline while telling his receivers to do different things on the field and it's working. And they get all the way down to the two yard line. And then I'm standing in that end zone and I am short. I am like five, eight with baseball spikes on. 
So <laughs> I, when Moore scores the touchdown, I can't see what's going on. And then they throw the flag. And at that point, I'm like, well, this game is over because the kicker already had snakes in his head. Like, he's 100% missing this. And I was, like, walking off the field, and I'm like, did he deserve the flag? What did he do? And then a TV guy, like, showed me on his camera, and I was like, oh, yeah, he did. <laughs> that flag was warranted. Right. Very well deserved. <laughs> and outside of that game, I mean, from it's more recent, but due to the volume of what it carried and the, and the weight of what it meant for the program, the 2013 win, Dak coming in and, and winning that game after everything that had happened to him previously in those weeks – uh, him coming back and winning that game and then what, you know, happened over the next two years of him in that program, that was – you could feel there was a shift in the trajectory of the program at that point. Something happened that night, and it obviously was one of the greatest campaigns in state history that next year. And, you know, we, we had the next two years in the history books, and that will never be forgotten. And it felt like that was the start moment right then. Yeah, having Dak at Mississippi State, that must have just been super fun. I mean, I've never had anyone quite like him. And, I mean, just – yeah, that must have just been incredible. It was incredible. That, his, uh, that 2014 year was my freshman year on campus. Oh, oh man. Well, what, awesome. a, what a way to start your college career. <laughs> oh, my gosh. And <laughs> yeah. Dak Prescott made a fool out of so many people that year, too, because, like, I, I remember going to a party after he just wiped the floor with LSU. And there was a guy from A&M there, and he was like, oh, you guys just lost to Mississippi State and trying to, like, put us down. I was like, just you wait. This guy's different. And sure just enough, I, mean, I think I think Mississippi State even got A&M in November. So, like, you know it was a white, like, a complete ass whooping. So, <laughs> uh, but so, you know, one thing I really enjoyed about the conversation we've had with you guys is there's a little bit, just like you said about the coaches, there's a little bit of a friendly edge to the, the Egg Bowl, it seems like. So, Evan, in your opinion, what makes Egg Bowl different from maybe some different – some other rivalries around the country, the, uh, the SEC? The, the main thing that I always think that is so funny and, and so true to our rivalry, and there's others that are around, but ours is – in the grand scheme of things, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to anyone that doesn't have some kind of tie back to either Oxford or Starkville. And, and outside of those, we know it doesn't matter, so we have to ha – but it's the ties that bind us. And that's, that's what it keeps it going. We know how much it gets under each other's skin. Every Ole Miss comment, just it, it has that little extra piercing to it. And it's, but it's at the same time, we understand that without each other, it isn't relevant. So we, we invest that much more into it. And it means so much to the people of the state and, you know, how preoccupied it makes it. No matter what else is going on, you can always look somewhere else and like that. Yeah, but it, we, at least we're not them. And it's, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of that. And so I think that's what makes it so great is outside of the state of Mississippi, it's, it's nothing, but it's ours. Yeah. I like that answer. Brian, follow that up. What do you think? I would agree. I mean, it's, a, I, I could, I, he articulated that pretty well. I, I agree. It's, it's, it's one of those things where there are two schools in this state where Mississippi's probably really only needs one major institution in the state from an athletic standpoint, like not like schools wise. And so they don't, I mean, they produce good talent per capita, but it's just you're sharing the same foot, foot, footprint in recruiting. And, I mean, how many other states have two SEC schools in them? Like, Tennessee doesn't count because their competition's Vanderbilt. It's really Alabama and Auburn and two other schools that have national footprints. Like, you don't have that in Mississippi. So, these two schools are fighting each other tooth and nail 300-some-odd days a year trying to beat each other in football. It's really not, like, it's really not just that game. And I don't think you can say the same for any – iron bowl or something like that and then the second part of it is is exactly what he alluded to as well it's like 
irrelevance is probably the right term, but they're not playing for a whole lot else in a lot of years historically. And so that just like the, that makes the magnitude of the game even larger in my mind. And, you know, it's funny. It's kind of like with all the theatrics, the last like half decade or so, and with both schools being good in 14 and 15, like people are finally realizing like how quote unquote nasty or heated it is. And like my whole life, I've been sitting there like anyone who trusts us says that Iron Bowl is more heated than this. Like I would like to meet those people. Like I just don't believe that. And like, I feel like the Egg Bowl is finally getting its due for better or for worse. Yeah, well, Brian, one thing that, uh, you know, talking about the antics that's happened towards the end of the football game, like the craziness that happened last year in a game that was completely irrelevant because all it did was decide which one of y'all went to a bowl game. And like, like, it's not like it was decided in the SEC West or anything. It was that heated, that close, that aggressive to go to a bowl game. Like, it, it, like that, that speaks volumes about how much hatred there is in the rivalry, but also a little bit to the irrelevance. Absolutely. It's relevant it was, Mississippi. That's, what, that's where it's most relevant. That's it. Absolutely. 2019 was a perfect embodiment of what the Egg Bowl is, the worst and the best. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never get over the clip of uh, after the, the tussle in the end zone. Penalty on every player on both teams. That was going to take a while to write down. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. So both of y'all are new to the show. Um, this is one thing that we like to do. And, and with Rivalry Week being this week, we've, we've gotten some pretty fun answers already. I'm going to start with Evan. Evan, I'm going to make you say something nice about the Rebels, and I'm not going to let you hang up until you do. So give me, give me your best shot. Oh man, um, something nice about the rebels. Ah uh, man, <laughs> it's got, I, I got sidetracked on these questions earlier, and I, I forgot about what I was going to be long conned my answer for. Um, goodness gracious! Uh, it's the fact that you guys got uh, Marshall Henderson away from your program for just about six, four, three years, and then he came back. But so I'm not happy about that. But the day he left Oxford, Mississippi, I became a whole lot better person. Uh, <laughs> happier I could see clear <laughs> he drove me nuts but um I guess that's a good thing I, maybe I'll think of something better after your answer yeah Brian what do you got I'll go two things very quick the baseball stadium's awesome as someone who really loves college baseball I know it's like a big pissing match about like whose stadium's nicer but I finally got to go to the new dude it was cool and the uh cheese and ice cream's pretty sick I enjoy that those are great ones. Actually, I got a, I got a new one. You guys rebuilt the Tad Pad. Thankfully, thank you for not making it. You guys be the worst college basketball arena in the SEC. They had the, almost had that one by a long shot for the Tad Pad, whether between the holes in the roofs or the asbestos, they had it going on. <laughs> it, it adds character. Wait, so can we take a second and talk about what cheese and ice cream is for those of us who don't know? <laughs> Well, as an agricultural mechanical school, there's a large program that's uh, dairy processing and, and food production side of things. So there's the uh, the Mayfis Sales Store. I don't remember what the acronym stands for, but it's uh, a whole program where they pretty much learn how to make cheese, ice cream, all kinds of stuff, dairy production, all that stuff. It's some of the best cheese you'll ever have. And that Muscadine Ripple ice cream, it'll change your life. Well, hang on a second. I thought, I, for whatever reason, I thought they were served together. I was like, cheese and the ice cream separate, but they're both good. So I was trying to package two in one there. All right. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, hey, that's an important <laughs> clarification point. Yeah. Yeah. 
<laughs> That's a dairy overload, if you ask me. Things are things are a little bit different in Starkville, but it's good to know that they're not that different. <laughs> We're not that out there. <laughs> awesome. Hey guys, this was a lot of fun. I really appreciate your time this evening, and uh, have a good Thanksgiving and fun watching the Egg Bowl. Good luck, guys. Yeah, hey guys, guys that's a lot. Trying us on. For sure. Thank you. Good to see you, Evan. Good to see you too, brother. Out. All right, everyone. Welcome to our third and final call of the week. We've got a jam-packed week with Rivalry Week and Thanksgiving and everything going on. Um, but this week, uh, to finish up, we're covering Texas A&M, LSU, the newest rivalry in the SEC West, as I'm calling it. Uh, from LSU, we've got Max from Tailgate LSU on again. Max, thanks for joining us. Thank you guys for having me again. Absolutely. And then from A&M for the, what is this, the third time now, Rush yeah. from uh, – Good bull hunting. Thanks for joining us again, Rush. Good to be back with some football. Yeah. And we yeah. got we got you in the like in the midst of maybe the best November that Texas AM has had in a long yeah, time. Yeah, a long time. We haven't even played yet. <laughs> well, we played one game, played South Carolina. Right, you're right. Yeah, yeah. That one went pretty well. So it's it's been a good month still, you know, other other yeah. than the news. But <laughs> yeah. Well, look, let's go ahead and hop into it. Let's let's get let's get into the rivalry. You know. Chris and I, Rush, you know that we're LSU fans. Max, obviously, our LSU uh, representative on the podcast this week is obviously an LSU fan as well. So you're the only Texas A&M fan on here. To you, is this a rivalry game? To me, it, it's not yet. I think it's kind of forced. But uh, I think it could be. I think it's kind of by default. You know, um, LSU and Arkansas are sort of our the closest thing we can get to a rival that we play every year right now. But – uh, as you reminded us in the question, it is pretty one-sided. <laughs> I think it could be if we build off that last, you know, the 2018 win was really good. A few more games like that, I think we could have a good one going. So you want to go more seven overtime games with yeah, referees? Bring it. I love the chaos. For you, or you want to have less of those? <laughs> if we win, I like them. Okay. okay. No, they're fun either way. <laughs> All right, Max, same, same kind of question. Do you think this is a rivalry? Uh, as of now, I'm going to have to say no, you know, uh, like Rush was saying, if they can kind of build on, you know, if they can build on the momentum that they had two years ago and maybe make this a back and forth series, kind of like LSU had with, uh, with Auburn in the early 2000s, then maybe this, this can start to be a rivalry. But, uh, as of right now, it's a, you know, it's an eight to one, I want to say run right now by LSU. So as of now, I'd have to say no, um, you know, this Saturday, you know, we'll see. Maybe, maybe it'll begin to start to be, be an eight to two. You know, and then build off of that for a And M. But as of now, I'd have to say no. Yeah, I mean, it, the the talk about it being a forced rivalry—that's definitely true. The, the, the conference at a And M because a And M brings a lot to the table financially, fan base wise, that type of thing, and recruiting base wise. And they needed a And M to have a rival, and LSU was just there without a rival. So that is that is definitely true. It's kind of forced, but it's fun. Not- it's fun to have it. <laughs> I think we're one – probably this year is going to be the year with the sorry state of LSU football. But, like, I think we're one back and forth away. Like, okay, A&M got it in 2018. We came back in 2019 and kind of took it out on them. I think this year we might see the same comeback uh, in LSU's direction. And then we're kind of in the thick of a back and forth rivalry. And I'm, I'm pumped at the idea of two teams that are proximity-wise like pretty close to one another and, like, in the same kind of com- competitive echelon. Like, we can't really be consider ourselves rivals with Bama because they always whip our ass. 
same thing with Ole Miss. Like, we always kick the shit out of them. So, like, let's have a good back and forth and, like, let's really get some hatred going here. I think it could be fun. Um, all right, so speaking of, speaking of hatred and, you know, close proximity and everything like that, speaking a little bit about, like, the difference in the chasm between these two schools, because from my perspective, like, they're very different ends of the spectrum as far as, like, traditions. So, Rush, what, in your view, makes A&M and LSU different from one another? I think the biggest thing is sort of football-wise is just the mindset of the fans. I think A&M fans tend to take things really seriously, a lot of traditions, which is cool. And But I think the football side, you know, very, very serious, business-like, and LSU fans, just chaos, you know. I mean, they, they love football and they're serious about it, but it's also – you know, they're in it because football is fun. It's not like a, it's not like a workmanship attitude for LSU. It's just like football. Let's go do it. Party time. Yeah. Party time. <laughs> yeah. And I, I would say that that's a really good way to put it. And that reflects the student body and the fan, you know, the, the group of fans really well is A&M is very structured and rigid and, you know, they've, they've built a lot of success doing that. Whereas LSU is just this kind of like amoeba of like loud people who yell loudly and like get together on Saturdays and fill the stadium up and get really drunk. <laughs> Just happen to, happen to maybe drink too much. Um, <laughs> Max, from your perspective, what's the difference? What do you see? Uh, A&M seems to be a lot more kind of, at least from a fan perspective, a little more structured and organized and, you know, like Rush was saying, LSU, we just kind of pile into the stadium, the louder, the better, you know, let's make it, you know, Let's make it a loud, chaotic kind of game. Um, I think uh, the expectations also of of the two fan bases are a bit different at the at the moment. You know, LSU fans. You know, you'll see you'll see sometimes uh, A and M have a season like this, and everyone's talking about, well, in the future we ought to be fine. And right now, you know, LSU is set dead even at five hundred, and no one's happy. You know, and so I think uh, I think just kind of. Just overall, two very, very polar opposite fan bases uh, from, you know, just from a perspective of attitude and, and you know, expectations and also the way they kind of carry themselves at, uh, at games. You know, A&M fans got to be some of the – got to be some of the nicest people at games, you know, some of the most respectful people at games. You know, I've been to football, baseball games around A&M fans, never really had a bad encounter. So, uh, you know, I think – and then – you know, sometimes I'm an LSU fan, but I can't exactly say the same thing about uh, about our fan base being the classiest out there. But uh, you know, yeah. Hey, you take you hear fans, I would get them. Yeah, you, well, you hear different things about because, like, you run into people who are like, "Oh yeah, I went down down to a game in Baton Rouge and I had the best time tailgating." But then once they get into the stadium, it seems like they encounter like the mean Cletus, and Cletus starts being mean to them. Yeah, um, but. Another really interesting thing about these two fan bases, it just kind of popped into my mind, and it, it, they separate themselves, these two separate themselves from many other schools and how unified they are with their cheers as a crowd within the stadium. But they're like, they're coming from very different places. Like A&M has the yell leaders like signaling out what they're going to cheer for and like what, you know, things are going to yell, whereas LSU, you know, follows the band and like, over time, cuff words are inserted at various different places and the <laughs> band has to cancel songs. Like, it's like somehow, you know, it's like a horseshoe effect where they've, they've ended up very close to each other, but they got there in very different ways. And I think that's a really fun thing about these two schools. That's a really good way of putting it. Just yeah. organic. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's a, that's a good point, Chris. I didn't even think about that until we got in. Well, let's talk about the football teams. You know, we got two teams that are playing. Uh, we've talked about this quote-unquote rivalry a little bit and, and what's happened since A&M's joined the conference. But let's talk about 2020. That We don't want to talk about the past too much. So, Max, what do you think's going on with the LSU program? Do we need to just completely flip the switch and make a complete 180? What do you think about the trajectory of the program long term? So, um, you know, I've, I've talked to a few people within the program. Uh, I've talked to, I talked to Marlon Favorite earlier today, who has actually played under Bo Pelini. And, uh, you know, my, my, in my opinion, I just think we, as fans, just settle down, give it time. Uh, you know, a lot of the personnel recruited right now, especially on the defensive side of the ball, is recruited for a Dave Aranda-style defense and not a Bo Pelini-style defense. You know, with Dave Aranda style defense, a lot of the defensive linemen are kind of holding up blockers, letting linebackers like Devin White and Patrick Queen and Jacob Phillips make plays on the ball. Whereas, you know, with a Bo Pelini style defense, the defensive line go get some, you know, everyone, everyone eats on the Bo Pelini style defensive line. And so I think it's very two different style of defenses. And if there was any team that needed an offseason you know, from 19 going into 20, it was LSU. With all, with all the lost production and, you know, just with a completely different – with a completely different system, all the lost production, you know, you throw in a lot of young players. You need an off season and a spring game and spring ball. And now, you know, you've got, what, you know, maybe three weeks to prepare for the season. You know, no real spring ball. A lot of the guys weren't exactly able to, you know, be active and everything like that over – the quarantine. So I think just patience is one of the biggest things, you know, we have a, we have a great recruiting class coming in and, you know, if you, you know, coach O has always just had a knack for finding guys, you know, somehow finding guys, you know, like the 2019 team, you know, majority of the starters were three stars and transfers. So I just say, you know, give it time, let them rebuild a little bit. And, you know, in 2021 and 22, especially we can start to reset our expectations towards, a national championship caliber program every season. Yeah, so I think we need to get this. I think we need to get this book tour, this thirty-year-olds that Ogeron's going through, and then we need to figure out what the hell's going on with USA Today and get that out of the program, and then move past it. But I'm yeah. with you. I mean, we just need to we need to clean up what's going on right now, and then just stick with the guys we've got because they're pretty good guys. And Max, quick follow-up there. So, do you think that Bo Pelini stays? Do you think Bo Pelini's going to be here for a little while, or what, what do you think's going to happen with him? Past this season, yes, I do. Um, you can already see uh, – That hurts, that hurts my feelings. So, yeah, I, I took that <laughs> as a personal assault to me. So, I'm, I'm upset now. Thanks. Past this season, yeah, I do think he stays. Uh, the defense has improved a little. I know it's – you know, you look at the scoreboards and you say how, but, you know, really, South Carolina game, a couple of busted plays that led to South Carolina touchdowns. But really, overall, better uh, – you know, a better performance. Against Auburn, you know, the will of the defense was a little bit challenged when, you know, it's 28 nothing, but really only one Auburn drive down the field that, re that led to points. You know, the rest of it is just three straight spotted touchdowns by the offense, and then the game kind of just, you know, just the wheels came off, and it was just an avalanche after that. But then, you know, and then you look at the Arkansas game, and really outside of about five or six plays – the defense played a great game. You know, the, the defense played almost a perfect game outside of about five or six plays. And so, 
I definitely see a lot more certainty and confidence, and they're playing faster and with a more with a little bit more aggression and grit going forward. So I think you know just give it time, let him recruit the kind of personnel that he needs for his system, and then I think he ought to be doing all right in a couple of years. Do I think he's a Brett Venables? Do I think he's you know a Bo Pelini of old? Maybe not, but I, I do think we need to give him a little time to see what he's got. Yeah, for sure. All right, Rush, we, 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 we got a lot of info from Max there, so I'm going to give you the floor for a little bit. Max, Max, I appreciate all the details. I mean, most of everything that you're saying, I absolutely, absolutely do agree with you. But, Rush, let's, let's talk about your 2020 season. So, I mean, let's let, – like, realistically, if Notre Dame loses and if, again, to, or this weekend to uh, North Carolina and Notre Dame beats Clemson in the ACC championship game again – then realistically, A&M has a real shot to make the playoffs. At worst, they're going to make a New Year's Six Bowl if they beat LSU this week. They don't really play anyone that's going to push them that much. You can really make an argument as to whether or not LSU is going to push them. So talk about what you're, what's going on with your program. Are you all excited? What's going to happen in the future? What about this team? I'm, I'm really happy with what's happening. It's kind of like you can see this year all of the pieces fall into place for Jimbo, and this is exactly the type of team – he's been trying to build for three years and it's, it's, I mean, the offensive line has gelled finally. We've been waiting for three years, but they've been playing just insane this year. The running backs are doing great. Um, I, and Mond is having his most solid season. He, he really, I think he took leadership of the team over the off season with everything going on. And, and you can tell that it made a big difference. And apart from the Alabama game, which is, I mean, that was, that was game two after a really bad Vanderbilt game. And I think after that, they just kind of went to work and the rest of the games have just been on a different level. And it's really great to see finally. And it sucks that we had a couple of games canceled, but you know, we knew that going into this year and it's really exciting to finally see it. And yeah, I think to, to keep it going, we, we really need to kind of reload on wide receiver. We're a little bit thin there, but um yeah, other than that, the offense is, is looking really good. The best it's been under Jimbo and the do defense, too. A, do you all have a big backup quarterback coming in to, pl- to replace Mon? Because I know Mon's well, a senior, and he's been playing for like 20 years for a Yeah, <laughs> we have uh, Haynes King. He's gotten action in a couple of games. He was a big-time recruit, so he's, he's getting action. So Is that the guy who ran out the back of the end zone in this game last year? No, he's a freshman. Okay, okay. <laughs> just, I think that was probably sure. – uh, Wanted to throw I don't a little think bit he plays quarterback anymore. I'm going to do a lot on Saturday, so I wanted to make sure I talked a little shit. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, moving, moving on from trajectories, we kind of talked about maybe the back and forth nature of this rivalry, hopefully turning it into a bigger deal going forward. Rush, what's your score prediction? How do you think we're going to show up? Mm, it's hard to tell. I mean, I want to say it's going to be more than it probably will be, but – I'm thinking probably like 24-20, 24-17. I don't think it'll be as easy as everyone thinks, but I think we should be able to win by about a touchdown. Well, and you guys have it's, it's a defense. team that's made up of – you guys have a team that's made up of senior leadership that's like the type of makeup you need to come out of a 21-day layoff stronger than you went into it, whereas, you know, maybe some different teams could fall apart during those 21 days. I mean – I think that edge goes to you, to, to A&M in this case. I've been watching Aggie football for like 20 years, so I've, I've, 
that factors into my expectations. <laughs> I know what happens. <laughs> it is still like not November, so. <laughs> yeah, it's barely still November. Fair enough, fair enough. Max, conversely, what are you, what are you thinking? Um, you know, on paper, A&M, yeah, they should win the game, but the game is not played on paper, and anything in the SEC especially can happen on any given Saturday. And I personally am still going to need to see a Texas A&M team beat an LSU team straight up without any kind of assistance from the referees. Um, you know, they got the win in 2018. Uh, the game could have ended about three times. Uh, so I'm going to have to go ahead. I'm still going to have to see it to believe it. Yes, on paper it should happen. But until then, I still think, you know, just – I think TJ Finley and the boys are going to march right on down into Kyle Field and come away with a 31 to 27 victory <laughs> in Kyle Field. Now, Let's now, go. To, that's that's a to, scorcher. Yeah, I need to let the listeners know that every loss this season, Max has gone immediately after and posted, "Hey, don't talk to me when we're nine and one. Hey, I don't want to hear from y'all when we're eight and two. I don't want to hear it when we're seven and three. So, and I love the optimism. I'm right there with you. I'm like, okay, yeah, we just got to fix this little thing and we'll get back right. <laughs> we're pumping sunshine with Max here. So, I'm, your, your answer is consistent with your personality for sure. <laughs> well, at least we know your Instagram account is very authentic. You know, you're very, very optimistic all the time, which is great. I love it. I love it. <laughs> So, okay, guys, both of y'all have been on here. Uh, Max, it's been a little while. Rush, I think, well, it's also been a little while for you, too. So, um, we'll just refresh your memory on how we like to end interviews here. I'm going to make both of y'all say something nice about the other school. Um, I know that this isn't our biggest rival yet, but we do think that in the future this is going to be a rival uh, for both of these schools probably here in the near future. So, Max, why don't you start off? Say something nice about A&M, other than the um, fact that they're very good at paying referees. <laughs> uh you know the nice thing i have to say about a&m is uh they made me they made me eat my words this year i gotta give it to them i thought a&m was nothing other than just a walking 500 team and i thought a&m's program has just been very mediocre and me mediocre and just kind of gotten all the hype recently and not really lived up to it but this year they proved me wrong they went in there you know they beat florida they've you know, other outside of that Alabama game, they played pretty flawless all season and, you know, the Vandy game, but still a win is a win. This year, they've proven that they're a lot more than just an average to, you know, barely above average football team. And, you know, I think Jimbo moving forward in this program could be a legit contender, uh, you know, for years to come. Well, this is definitely the first time that Jimbo's had a bottomless pit of money to work with, um, you know, from a resources standpoint in, in, in the athletic department. Not that he's paying players or anything, but, you know, he's, he, is do, he is doing, you know, he, it, at Florida State he did not have the resources that he has at A&M. A&M is obviously renowned for those. It's going to be interesting to see long-term how he continues to do. He is growing the program very well, as much as I hate to say it, but it is, it is truly, you know, getting – he's riding the ship and hopefully – and it looks like he's waking a sleeping giant. Rush, let's hear from you. Say something nice about the uh. Tigers. All right, this is an easy one, but LSU, hands down, the best uh, tailgate food in the country, best cooks in the fan base. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. I can agree with that. I can get on board. Everywhere I go, I get corn dogs. So. Uh, that's 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 tired. We need wired. <laughs> <laughs> what do you have a wired? What's wired LSU food? Uh, 
I'm gonna, you, you mentioned this website earlier, but and the Valley Shook, they have a recipe section. Uh, Billy Gamilla set it up and I've known Billy for about 10 years from every day should be Saturday and he's got some really good stuff on there. I've tried a few of them. Yeah, okay, so I'm gonna like fangirl out for a second. Um, and I've seen you interact with him a little bit, but also from uh, and the Valley Shook is Zach Rao. Mm -hmm. And uh, he like came up with, he came up with a cooking newsletter for a little bit where he was like sending out long write-ups and like, I was a huge fan of that. And it was awesome. So, um, and they get together and like share what they're cooking. Yeah. They've, they've got some good okay, stuff. I, I like that answer. Big time. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing about like Cajun cuisine, somehow they managed to, I, I don't know somehow, but like, I'd love to hear an oral history of, why everything that's like traditional Cajun food can be cooked outside on a propane burner so easily. <laughs> it's like one of, the, one of the few cuisines that's like strictly geared to being able to cook outside. Yeah, everything goes in one pot. For yeah. Everything goes in one <laughs> yeah. pot. You can drink a cold one. You know why you're doing it. It's great. <laughs> it's a big ass cast iron pot too. All right, guys, <laughs> this has been a lot of fun. We appreciate having you all on. Have a good Thanksgiving. Be safe wherever you're at and uh, go Tigers and giggle. Good luck, boys. Yeah, thanks, thanks for coming on. Thank you, guys. Thanks. All right. Okay, everyone. Welcome back from our uh, extended interview segment. Uh, three interviews this week, but a lot of fun covering rivalry week. So um, let's get into expectations. So talk them Iron Bowl first because it's the one that matters the most. Clay, what do you think we're going to see in Iron Bowl? I think you're, there is hell hath no fury like a Nick Saban scoring football theme. Um, they're, they're going to score a, a gazillion, just like they would have when if they play LSU. They're going to score so many points. It's going to be insane. They'll probably score 60. Auburn may, Auburn may score 40, but they'll score 60. They may get the third string in. Yeah, like, Bry Bry Bryce Young may, uh, may, may get pulled like because yeah. they're winning by so much. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, yeah, I, I agree with your prediction there. I think it's going to be ugly big time. Yeah, yeah 100%. What, what do you think about the Egg Bowl, the, the irrelevance bowl that is just the most fun football game that exists on the, on the face of the planet? Yeah, so, uh, Mike – so, okay, Lane Kiffin's offense scores points against even uh, inept – or even, like, quality defenses. So, we know Lane Kiffin's going to score – Mike Leach's offense scores points against really poorly coached defenses. And so I think – and Georgia. Yeah, and Georgia. <laughs> and they have a quarterback with a pulse, it seems like. So, yeah, this is going to be a shootout for the ages, if you ask me. And we may see some gamesmanship. Mike Leach and Lane Kiffin are friends, so they may have some, some fun – something funny happen at this handshake or something like that. But this is going to be a really, really fun, exciting one to watch. Yeah. No, I agree. I don't, I don't even know where to – begin on predicting a score on this I, like do I start in the hundreds uh, or the 90s or 70s or 80s I don't know because there's no defense is gonna be played in this game I can promise you that <laughs> yeah whatever the I'm not a betting man but whatever the over is take it it's getting hammered <laughs> yeah it should it, it, it absolutely should yeah. all right let's talk about our game last week we won our first game that we covered for LSU what, do you yeah. think we're going to go two in a row? Mm, I really don't think so. I think, <laughs> I think we're going to be two sad sack sallies on Saturday. But I'm not, gonna, I'm not even going to be sad about it. You know, 
I'm sticking to my guns because I stuck to my guns and I'm a man of integrity. I'm not confident in it at all. I'm actually, I'm actually just doing it so I can say that I'm a man of integrity. Uh, <laughs> so I think that LSU will win by one. But you know what? I'm just really looking forward. I hope both teams have a good time and LSU has a better time. I want that. Yeah. I hope they just go out there and have fun. I hope uh, it seems like both teams are going to be at full strength. So that's like, that's good. There's no excuse one way or the other. Um, I'm not, I, I like, I don't know if this is saying that I'm lacking in integrity, but I just don't think we have a shot in hell. <laughs> well, no, no, no. I'm not talking about you, you lack of integrity. I'm just saying that in past podcasts, I said that I would never pick against LSU. Oh, right. So I'm not going to do it. <laughs> sure. I, Whenever I pick against LSU or pick for LSU, I'm wrong. So I'm going to pick against LSU for that uh, reason as well as uh, my gut instinct. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. All right, guys. Well, uh, happy Thanksgiving. Uh, drive safe if you're driving. Um, thanks for listening if you made it this far. Uh, please share with your friends if you liked it. If you don't, please just hold your opinions to yourself. Um, and, uh, yeah, thanks so much for listening. Yeah. Thanks, y'all. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving.